0: life can be tricky we all want healthy thriving relationships but sometimes we find ourselves in conflict wondering how the heck we got there
1: in this episode we share the number one thing we believe will make or break your relationships
0: this is life with amy and jordan When we were teaching elementary school, Jordan taught fifth grade, I taught fourth grade. The first three days of school would be on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And in those three days, we wouldn't teach anything academic. We would spend the entire three days setting expectations and then practicing those expectations over and over and over again. So what I mean is we would practice lining up in a single file line and entering the classroom silently and respectfully, for example. And the first time we gave this instruction, it might not go quite as as we expected. And so we would line up and do it again and again until the kids could figure out, oh, this is what she means when she means enter the classroom silently and respectfully.
1: It would kind of go something like, "Okay, fifth graders, we're going to line up quietly outside Mr. Demos's room. And my expectation is that you're going to walk into the classroom silently. By silently, I mean nobody is talking to anyone else. You're not making any loud noises. You're being as quiet as you possibly can. Nobody
0: is touching anybody else. Nobody is touching
1: anybody else. You're going to put your backpack on your hook as fast as possible, get to your seat as quickly as possible, and quietly begin reading your morning book.
0: So even words like quietly are up to interpretation when you're 10, right? So those are the types of things that we would practice the first few days of school. We had expectations for everything when it was appropriate to go to the bathroom, when it was appropriate to talk during class, and when it was not appropriate to talk. Um, what we today, don't have that
1: bathroom expectation at our current business. <laughs> we just go when we want.
0: Yeah, the, oh, the freedom of being able to go to the bathroom when we want. <laughs> teachers out there, you feel us on that and, one.
1: You know, some people, I think other teachers at the time, maybe other teachers at other schools might have viewed the way that we communicated with our students and the way we set expectations as over the top. But Amy and I had this firm belief that children, especially elementary school age children, they want to do well. Kids don't show up, generally speaking, outside of maybe that rare 1%. They don't show up on the first day of school thinking, man, how can I get in trouble today? Mm -hmm. They show up on the first day of school thinking, how can I please my teacher today? Mm -hmm. How can I get along with my classmates today? How can I make friends? How How can can I I do well?
0: How can I thrive? It's so true. We really, saw in kids. Kids wanted to do well. They just needed expectations clearly communicated to them so that they had a way to thrive and succeed and feel like, yeah, I'm doing a good job. Kids wanted that in school. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons why we would hear things from parents like, you know, at my son's old school, he would get in trouble all the time. But for some reason, in your classroom, he's never in trouble. Or I even had a mom once in tears tell me, you know, my son has been on ADD medication for years now. And he was able to go off his ADD medication and doesn't need it in your class. And not only that, his grades are better than ever before. And I don't think that these things were because we were magic. We certainly weren't. I really believe it's because we believe that expectations is one of the make or break pieces of relationships. And the interesting thing about kids is they're just like little adults. They teach us so much about human nature and how we believe our desires, um, the feelings that we have are so similar to those of kids in so many ways. And so kids are just like... The, the best versions because they don't have filters. so they, They're very
1: fun because they have no filters. <laughs> yeah.
0: and Because they have no filters, they have taught us so much about life and about ourselves. I think that was one of the coolest things about teaching. Um, and I think the thing that we were talking about with kids, about everybody wanting to succeed, all of our kids wanting to thrive and do well, isn't that the same for us as adults? We all want to succeed and thrive and do well, specifically in our relationships.
1: Yeah, I mean, nobody goes into a marriage and thinks, man, I really hope I can blow this thing up. Nobody goes into a new job and is like, man, I really hope I can upset my boss. No <laughs> boss hires a new coworker and is like, man, I really hope I can set my new employee up to fail. You know, parents don't wake up in the morning and think to themselves, how can we get our kids in trouble today? Right? That's just not the way we approach relationships because for the most part, when when we all want to be successful in relationships, we all want other people to be successful in relationships with us. And We really believe, um, you know, for this episode, we're going to be speaking mostly from the perspective of our marriage, but we believe that these principles of setting expectations and communication and relationships are universal. It doesn't matter if we're talking about a marriage. It doesn't matter if we're talking about your relationship with your child or your relationship with your own parents. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the boss employee relationship or the employee employer relationship. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter if we're talking about relationships between friends, relationships between coworkers, any relationship that you have with anybody who communicates, <laughs> right? And there is going to be something in that for you, you know, in it for you in this episode.
0: Yeah, so I think basically what we're saying is if you interact with other human beings at all, this really applies. And we just really believe that expectations are going to be the thing that make or break our relationships. So let's just break that down. What do we mean by expectations? And an expectation is simply, you know, a belief that something Should happen or something will happen. Um, It might be like a um, a want or a need, a desire, but basically a belief that this thing it should happen or it's going to happen. Um, And so we all carry expectations, all of us at all ages. But where do our expectations come from? And so Jordan and I were reflecting on this, like where do our expectations come from? And we realized it's really. Every moment of our lives up to this point right now shape our expectations. And we all carry our own set of expectations because we all have our own unique life experiences. Um, in educational theory, we like to call this schema in our education classes.
1: I love the word schema.
0: <laughs> it's such a fancy word. It's like...
1: It feels oh, like... No, oh, yes. it's not fancy. It feels like, I'm a schema.
0: <laughs> like slang. Or it could okay. be like, I'm a schema. <laughs> Wow, I've never thought of it that way before. Um, but I always just thought of schema as like a fancy word that we like to toss around in the education world that basically just means... It's a word for prior knowledge and experiences that a, a kid brings into the classroom with them. But it really applies to us as adults too. For us as adults, it's like every former experience that we've ever had shapes the way we think and we believe. So here's what we mean in a practical way. Um uh, <laughs> Let's take Christmas, for example. So when I was growing up, I was an only child until I was 14. Um, Christmas was such a magical time of year for me because uh, my mom especially was just like, almost like the Holly Hallmark homemaker. I uh, just made uh, holidays magical and carried out so many traditions. And she's actually an interior designer by trade. So our home was just like, Almost like a magazine. Christmas home. Like she had a beautifully decorated tree, holly on the stairs, just like the most magical, you know, she'd have like the perfect scented candle going. And it was just like this warm, safe environment that I loved and cherished so much. I really looked forward to the Christmas season. And because it was just the three of us, my mom, my dad and I, um, up until the age of 14, um, Christmas morning was really sweet. It was really quiet. Um, We would You know, go down to the tree once everyone was awake, and we'd sit down together in our pajamas, and then one gift would be selected from under the tree, and we would just open it so carefully. And then when I would open the gift, there was all this time to uh, you know talk about what I loved about the gift, thank thank the gift giver, give a big hug. Um, I remember in the Christmas season that Santa always had like special wrapping paper that was different than like the gifts from mom and. Dad, like I always knew Santa's paper because it was beautifully wrapped. Um, and just it was like, oh, there's one of Santa's presents. I remember uh, leaving out cookies and milk um, for Santa the night before. And we would even lay out carrots for the reindeer. And then when I would come downstairs in the morning of Christmas morning, there would be a thank you note from Santa <laughs> thanking me for the cookies and the milk and especially the carrots for the reindeer. It was just the most like magical experience and the like a, just a quiet, sweet, memory for me.
1: And so my experience was totally different. I grew up with a boy mom and she was the best boy mom in the whole entire world. There was a time in my life where my mom had three boys between the ages of five and 10. And it was really kind of like living with like really intelligent monkeys. I mean, we, we, we were
0: really intelligent up to interpretation. Yeah,
1: we were we were we were wild. We were rambunctious. I'm sure we would describe ourselves as a lot of fun. I don't know. She would always describe us that way. And my mom knew that and she leaned in into that boy momness, I can even remember for much of my childhood, the living room space that was just off the the kitchen. My mom never furnished it. She never actually put really anything in that room because we loved to play indoor soccer in the summer in Arizona when it was really hot. And she would let us kick soccer balls. I mean, we broke windows. We put holes in the wall. She just totally understood all about being a boy mom. And she kind of also translated that into Christmas, which we love because we would be ready on Christmas morning, sitting at the top of the stairs. And instead of like the special Santa gold wrapping paper, like Amy described, my mom would put each of our pile of gifts unwrapped, still in the packaging, (laughs) on the floor around the Christmas tree. My brother, Nick had a pile. My brother, Stefan had a pile. I had a pile. And there was a big bed sheet that covered all the gifts. And she had one rule on Christmas morning was that we had to open our stockings before we were allowed to go to the gifts. And so we would always wait at the top of the stairs for her signal. We would come down, we would open our stockings. There were there was always five dollars of McDonald's money, yeah. which was awesome. <laughs> and a, a crisp $20 bill and some awesome candy. And then when it was time to go to the tree, it would be like three, two, one. And the three wild banshees would storm to the Christmas tree, rip the sheet off, and it was just like Christmas morning came alive. And it was like, how fast can we get our football jerseys on, get this football out of the packaging and go start tackling each other in in the front yard, right? No matter how cold it was or whatever the situation.
0: So you can imagine when Jordan and I got married, we had very different expectations about what Christmas was going to be like.
1: Yeah, yours was boring.
0: (laughs) And yours was chaotic. <laughs> no, but really, we, we have learned to appreciate the, the differences in our families over time. But the point of us telling that whole story is that we had to recognize. I just
1: love I have to jump in because I love the point in your Christmas story where you guys were like in pa- matching pajamas or like <laughs> nearly matching pajamas. And I'm pretty sure that most of the time we were like half naked <laughs> running around pretending to be Ninja Turtles. I mean, like
0: <laughs> <laughs> we grew up in very different houses. That's for sure. So, that was one of the most important things for us when we got married was simply to recognize and acknowledge that we were bringing very different sets of expectations into our marriage. And we use a light example like Christmas, but we have expectations about all kinds of things, big things and small things that sometimes we don't even realize. And not only were do we have expectations that have been developed from childhood, we also realize a lot of our expectations are shaped just by the culture, by the TV shows we've watched, movies, we've watched um, books and movies like The Notebook, like our ideas about romance, right? That there are so many.
1: I wrote you a a letter every day for a year.
0: Is that your Noah impression? That's my
1: Noah impression. I mean, it
0: was pretty spot on. I'll give you an A for that one. Um, Oftentimes, though, I think the the funny thing or the not so funny thing about expectations is often we don't even realize we have an expectation until the expectation is not met. Let me say that one more time. Oftentimes we don't even realize we have an expectation until the expectation isn't met.
1: We'll continue to talk more about that in just a minute, but first, do you love taking photos but wonder why yours don't look like the ones you see online?
0: What if we told you there was a free online photography class that would help you fix that? We're Amy and Jordan, and along with hosting this show, we're professional photographers who help people take better pictures. We created a free online photography class where you'll learn three easy pro tricks that will help you start taking better photos this week.
1: To reserve your free seat, just head to amyandjordan.com slash class to choose a date and time that works for your schedule. Again, that's amyandjordan.com slash class. We're so excited to share three of our favorite pro secrets that will help you start taking better photos this week.
0: We can't wait to see you in class. Now back to the episode. One of the clearest examples of this that I, I like can't help but think of when I think of this is my own experience in labor. <laughs> oh gosh, I don't even know why I'm going down this road, but stick with me. So um,
1: I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> when it's probably going to be messy
0: (laughs) when i decided to have an unmedicated labor i thought i was going to do a pretty good job of letting go of all my expectations about what that experience is going to be like because i'd heard from enough women every birth story is different every baby enters the world a different way
1: have you ever noticed how like on tv whenever a woman goes into labor it's like (gasps) oh My water broke. Oh my gosh, get the bag, get the car. Hey,
0: the baby is coming. And they rush to the
1: hospital and they barely make it. And then the baby is born. And like half the time, dad's not even there. It's like a substitute uncle that helps deliver the baby, you know?
0: <laughs> I wish that was, I mean, minus the substitute uncle, that part would be weird, but I really wish. I guess
1: it depends on the uncle.
0: That could have been my experience with with delivering Beckett, but that was definitely not the case, and I don't think I even realized I had this expectation, but you know, around hour 23 when I'm in the pushing stage, um, trying to push him out, and the midwife exclaimed, like, we can see his head. For me, that was a moment of like, oh my gosh, I must be so close like this is the end like thank goodness I was exhausted I was in so much pain and when I heard that like we can see his head I was thinking great like one more push this baby's going to be out and I didn't even realize that that was an expectation until that moment because that was not my experience (laughs) he did not come out in the next push it was another 90 minutes of excruciating pain and pushing and I every push felt more and more and more frustrating and I was feeling so discouraged. and it took me a little while after the labor to process. The reason I was feeling so discouraged is because I had this unmet expectation in my head that I didn't even know existed. Just from simply watching childbirth on TV and in movies for so long, I feel like every TV doctor says, we can see the head one more push and then the, the baby comes out. I didn't even realize that was an expectation until it didn't happen for me. And then all of a sudden, I was so discouraged and so disappointed. And I can't believe I just told that story. Whoa! Um, but the point. The worst part here- is he had
1: a ninety fifth percentile head. Yeah. I wasn't supposed to say that, was <laughs> it?
0: Gosh, thanks for including that detail.
1: But in in all seriousness, you know, in our experience, people's biggest fights. Their biggest disappointments, their biggest discouragements come from unmet expectations. And, you know, when you have unmet expectations in relationships, whether it's one unmet expectation or a chain of unmet expectations, here's the problem is that unmet expectations in relationships are a lot like cancer in the sense that if you are able to diagnose cancer in one of the, in the early stage and you're able to treat it, you have a much better chance of having a successful outcome, of having a healthy outcome, right? But if you don't catch cancer until you're much later in the process, unmet expectations, just like cancer, they can metastasize, right? Mm-hmm. They can metastasize in your body, mm-hmm. they can metastasize in your relationship underneath the surface. And ultimately, those unmet expectations. Over a period of time, metastasizing underneath the surface mm-hmm. can really, really damage or even destroy relationships. You know, go and ahead. you
0: know, we were fortunate enough to get to do premarital counseling before we got married, uh, which was through our church. And we would recommend premarital counseling to any couple who's thinking about getting married or any couple who's engaged right now, um, because we had this opportunity to. Fun
1: fact and total side note: <laughs> we. Basically failed premarital counseling. This is like a t- you didn't. know I was going to tell this story. I did not. But I will never forget being in our in our first premarital uh, counseling. It was like a big group thing at our church, and you had to basically fill out these personality profiles, <laughs> and then based on the personality profile, that would tell your mentor couple a little something about you know what pitfalls might kind of be ahead of you. And um, I'll never forget sitting down with our with our mentor couple for the first time, and them basically kind of explaining to us like, hey, like we're really concerned. Um, based on your test results results, we're like really concerned and all this stuff so (laughs) if you failed premarital counseling too
0: (laughs) well the reason they were concerned is because we tested the same animal remember it was
1: yeah we both tested otter which is like the fun happy-go-lucky animal and it was basically we're just concerned that you're not going to
0: get anything done and
1: that you might not be productive (laughs) in your household you might not be productive in your professional life and that it's just all going to be fun and games for you guys
0: So, I mean, so far, so good. 10 years in, who knows? Who knows what will happen? Um, But anyway, we really do recommend the premarital counseling experience because it gave us the opportunity to talk through a lot of those big expectations that we bring into a marriage. So big expectations like, do you want to have kids? How many kids do you want to have?
1: Um, I always say four. Amy says one at a time.
0: One at a time. <laughs> well, now that you know about my experience with the pushing, maybe you understand. Um So, you know, the big questions, finances, who's going to be in charge of the of the money, right? These big questions are really important to talk about before entering a marriage. And I think a lot of us have heard that advice before, but we found over our 10 years of marriage that some of our biggest disappointments, our fights, our discouragements happen in really small moments in like these daily hour by hour moments and not necessarily those big picture ones that we talked about in counseling.
1: If you've ever had a stupid fight, you know exactly what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, like a stupid fight. Exactly. Um so let's talk about one of our stupid fights. Why not? <laughs> so I can still remember clearly there was this night in our condo where um we had probably had a crazy day. Jordan came home. uh, Jordan came through the door with a bunch of groceries ready to prep dinner. And he's like chopping things and stirring things and, you know, the things that people do that know how to cook. Not me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I was sitting at the kind of like the little bar stool area that was, you know, it's a little condo kitchen. So it was like that was like the eating area and the prepping area and all the all the things. So when he was in there, just like a tornado trying to prep dinner, I was posting on Instagram uh, for our business. And so we have this philosophy, we call it Demos Inc. We'll, we'll talk about this more probably in another episode. But um, we're, as long as we are both doing things that move our family forward or our business forward, they're both equally important. And yeah. so-
1: Demos Inc. might be a Dave Ramsey thing. It wouldn't surprise us because we love Dave Ramsey, yeah. but I'm kind of remember where how that we comes feel from. feel about Dave. Yeah, we're going to credit you, Dave. Does it
0: come from Monsters Inc.? <laughs> hmm.
1: Hmm.
0: We'll get into that later. Um, So as we are uh, each in our roles, you know, I'm posing for the business. Jordan is prepping dinner. Then there comes a moment where I'm done posting and my feed refreshes and I'm seeing new photos of my friends that I haven't seen before. And I get sucked in. Not your
1: friends that you haven't like seen before, like (laughs) photos of your friends that you haven't yet seen. Right.
0: Yes, exactly. Thank you for that. Like hello,
1: new friend on Instagram that just popped up.
0: I've never met you before. No. So I'm scrolling through photos and just kind of like in one of those dazes right where your eyes kind of glaze over and you just like check out um
1: and and i immediately look over and like again imagine like there's like sauce boiling over and there's like you know i'm somewhat newly married like we were probably (laughs) three or four years in but i'm no expert cook just yet and so i was probably burning something and something was probably boiling over and like there was probably smoke everywhere and i was hot from being over (laughs) the stove and i look over in a moment of frustration and i look at amy and i say what are you what are you doing And she looks up at me (laughs) and she looks up at me and all of a sudden I was upset with Amy and I was like, what are you doing? Like, I'm in here, I'm in the kitchen, I'm working my butt off. I'm slaving, you know, to make this dinner for you. Like very dramatically, obviously (laughs) that's the Greek coming out. And, and, and I'm like, I'm doing all of this for our family right now and, and You're scrolling Instagram. You're scrolling Instagram. <laughs> like how do you think how am I supposed to feel? How does that make me feel, right? Which valid point. Begin dumb fight.
0: Yes. And <laughs> We realized that this is not just like a, a one-off fight, but almost like a cycle that could happen. So something that we try to do is like uh, figure out like what's the pattern here in right. this conflict. And
1: if I can jump in for a second, I think that as a as a married couple, but you probably experience this with family members, friends, coworkers, all that kind of stuff, is that most of the time for us, our fights – don't just happen like spontaneously. Mm -hmm. There's usually like a simmer or a boil that kind of happens because of an unmet expectation. So if I had to Mm -hmm. say the the 99% of the fights that we've had in our marriage and 99% of the fights that we'll have the rest of our marriage will probably come from some unmet expectation.
0: Mm -hmm. So here's maybe like almost like the pattern of how this would go. So, you know, it was this night prepping dinner, but it could be in another situation as well. Um, where, so maybe Jordan has this expectation, um, of me helping him in the kitchen, for example. Um, but I don't know that he has that expectation because he didn't communicate it. So I'm not meeting this expectation because I don't even know it exists.
1: So while she's sitting there, you know, on Instagram, I'm kind of underneath the surface thinking like, what is she doing? Why is she on her phone? Why is she not helping? And maybe when I get the idea that she's like, oh, I'm posting for our business and I go, okay, she's posting for our business. Like, that's fine because everything is under the umbrella of Demos Incorporated. So I cook, you know, I, and then she eats, (laughs) but like she's working, right? She's working for our business. So we're both equally working and All of a sudden, when I find out that she's not working for the business anymore, and while I'm still working for our family and and our home, makes
0: Jordan feel like uncared for or disrespected, or like, yeah, like I don't care about him or what he's doing, or that I'm ungrateful. And
1: then I start acting like a punk and like a jerk, and I start giving her the cold shoulder. Um, You know, I start acting negatively. I start, you know, like you know, you know, you all know, right? When you fight with somebody, you give them eyes.
0: I'm feeling like, whoa, what is happening? This is coming out of nowhere. It's like He's passive
1: getting- aggressive all of a sudden, you know.
0: <laughs> and that makes me start feeling negatively too. And boom, pretty soon, I, hopefully you're following through at this point. You're like, yeah, that sounds like it's going to turn into a fight. <laughs> and
1: so one of the things we've realized, you know, after we had this, that fight in the condo, It probably took us, honest to God, it probably took us a couple of hours to cool down from that little tiff and finally get to the root and the heart of what was going on. And after we had that experience and we were like, man, that was a really dumb fight. Like we just wasted from seven to nine when we could have been, we could have been working, we could have been doing Netflix, we could have been doing Netflix and chill.
0: (laughs) or Netflix and no chill. And no chill
1: Amy's <laughs> preferred uh evening. <laughs> oh my god. And, and 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 it's like that, what a waste, right? Like just what a waste of an opportunity to spend a couple of quality hours together investing in our relationship and said we're hurting our relationship. So, so we decided that night, okay, whoa whoa whoa, wait a second. Like what was the Beginning of this chain of events what?
0: How did this even happen? How did we get So mad at each other and so that's something That we've been trying to work on in our Marriage over all these years is Understanding the chain of events basically Trying to figure out like how did this start And how can we prevent this from happening Again and I think the Tricky thing about this is all
1: the guys Are listening right now like they didn't want to listen to this podcast And their wives had them listen to it, and they're like wait a Second are you guys about to tell me how more chill happens Oh my gosh! Oh boy. I don't know Keep listening you'll find out <laughs> Oh boy, okay.
0: Um, The tricky thing about trying to figure out the chain of events, at least for us, is that we realize that we kind of live in this culture of like blame someone else first. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to figure out Or not even to figure out, but maybe just to admit. It's really hard for me to admit my own faults and to figure out um, my part. It's easier for me
1: because I have a lot of them. (laughs) So it's kind of like a grab bag. It's like, which ones do you want to point out today? But it's true. Like we live in this blame first culture where it is always somebody else's fault. If you don't believe that, watch the news. Yeah. It is always somebody else's fault. Like we all we are, you know, we when we get upset with our spouse, when we get upset with somebody else, whenever something like that happens, instead
0: of thinking like, well, it's because the other person did blank blank and blank, we've really tried to stop ourselves and turn inward and ask ourselves some really hard questions. Um, three really hard questions, actually. So the first question that we will ask ourselves is, Whoa, did I fail to communicate? an expectation. So instead of like, this person isn't doing this thing that I want them to do, or that they should be doing, because remember, an expectation a lot of times is something that you believe should be happening. And you could be just in that expectation. But is it possible that I didn't communicate that expectation? So that's the first question we ask. Did I fail to communicate that expectation? Um, Or did I fail to meet their expectation? Or three... Was I maybe holding an expectation that I didn't even know I had, like me and labor, for example? I didn't know I had that expectation until it went unmet.
1: We'll continue to talk more about that in just a minute. But first, if you're anything like us, before you buy something online, you research to no end, which is why we're so grateful when people we know and trust recommend something they already use and love.
0: That's why we created a list of all our favorite things just for you. Everything on this list is something we use and love in our everyday life, from baby products and cleaning products to our favorite books, our kids' favorite toys, and so much more. All our recommendations are in one place, and they're just one click away.
1: To see the complete list and start shopping now, head to amyandjordan.com favorites. Again, that's amyandjordan.com favorites.
0: When you make a purchase using one of our links, it doesn't cost you extra. Sometimes it even saves you money. And it's an easy way to help support the show. Now back to the episode.
1: And here's the thing. In almost every single case in our marriage, whenever we've had conflict of any kind, when we are mature enough and we're not always mature enough (laughs) to stop and ask ourselves, ask ourselves those three questions, did I fail to communicate an expectation? Did I fail to meet their expectation? Was I holding an expectation that I didn't even know I had like 9.9 times out of 10, I can take a good look in the mirror and go, you know what, this is your fault, Jordan. Like, this is your fault, right? Like, if you would have communicated an expectation more clearly, this wouldn't have happened.
0: And it can be really hard for me to admit my own responsibility in an argument or in a fight because it's so much easier to just blame the other person. But we've realized this is a much healthier way to diffuse situations, to recognize, oh, I actually had a part in this and there's something that I could have done differently that could have prevented
1: it. And one of the things that we've learned, you know, Know, just over the last 10 years of our marriage is most of the time, whatever we are inside of our house is just magnified outside of our house. And so if we don't have the, the kind of the self-awareness and the self-responsibility to, to look ourselves in the mirror and ask first, what could I have done better before pointing the finger more likely than not, when we're out in the world, instead of looking inward and asking what could I have done or what could we have done? We blame somebody else.
0: And I think the interesting thing about expectations is once we recognize that we have them, just because we have the expectation doesn't always mean that the expectation is fair or that it's reasonable. Um, And it's really hard to admit when I'm not being reasonable, but it's a really important question to ask because, you know, we found that most conflict um, and negative feelings that occur in friendships, for example, um, happen because one friend has an understanding. Spoken expectation that the other one didn't meet. And a lot of times those expectations are not fair and they're not reasonable, but it's hard to see it in ourselves. It's only easy to see it in other people. So for example, like if I am, um, you know, scrolling on Facebook or Instagram and I see friends that are hanging out, And I wasn't there. I didn't know about it. I wasn't invited. It might be easy to jump to like, oh, my gosh, they're hanging out without me. Why wasn't I invited? And you're starting to build up like negative feelings without saying anything. One of the
1: things that Amy's mom, who is a very, very wise and sage woman, said to us a long time ago that we repeat to ourselves all the time is I'm not responsible for my first thought. But I am responsible for my second thought. Mm -hmm. In other words, I'm not always responsible for my reaction, but I am responsible for my response. Mm -hmm. And so in those moments where Amy's describing where you see friends who are out doing something fun on social media and you weren't invited, Mm -hmm. it's very, very easy and natural right like we we feel this way too those feelings of like jealousy mm-hmm. or feeling left out or wishing that you were included those feelings of disappointment those feelings of loneliness those feelings of sadness those are all normal human emotions and, and it would completely be completely
0: valid feeling yeah, and like
1: we're not robots like when we <laughs> see those things on social media it it's not something that immediately we've gotten better over time and maybe you're a work in progress like we are but sometimes we see those things and we have to stop ourselves and go okay wait a second, I'm feeling jealous, I'm feeling upset, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling lonely, I'm feeling whatever I'm feeling, and then let the the heart piece happen, but then let the reason and the head piece take over.
0: And that looks like stopping ourselves and being like, wait a minute, is it actually reasonable to expect that I'm always going to be invited? And when we stop and ask ourselves that question, we start to think, Oh wait a minute like if if i were to reverse this and put myself in my friend's position <laughs> Is it reasonable for me to invite all of my friends everywhere, all the time, everywhere I go? And
1: would I like it if my friends put that expectation on me? Right. That's a lot of pressure. That's a heavy burden to bear.
0: Yeah. Um, And that idea of like, oh, gosh, is this actually a fair expectation? And the answer is no. A lot of times we place expectations on other people that we would hate for them to place on us because the burden is so heavy. So for example, like if um, you're in one of those situations where you're like, oh, my my gosh, I texted my friend and they didn't text back. And then I saw them post on social media. Um, It would be really easy to assume the worst in a situation like that, right? But instead, and we're not responsible for our first thought, but we are responsible for our second thought and our response. So can we stop and ask ourselves, okay, Amy, is it really fair to make assumptions without all the details? And more importantly, like, would I appreciate it if one of my friends assume the worst in me? And the answer, of course, to that is no.
1: Right in the Bible, it says, "With the measure you use against others, that measure will be used against you." Ooh, and that's a really powerful convicting. <laughs> and convicting piece of scripture because all of a sudden, whether you are somebody who is a person of faith or you're not, and by the way, everybody is welcome here. But if you're whether you're someone who's a person of faith or not. That idea of hold people to the standard that you want to be held to yourself, Mm -hmm. that's just a fair and reasonable standard. Mm -hmm. And we always want to assume the best possible intentions, right? Sometimes we have to like stop ourselves and go, okay, wait a second. Like here's a situation where we had an expectation that wasn't met. We can choose to view it in the worst possible light and give our friend or our spouse or a coworker or our child or our parent no benefit of the doubt. Or we can choose to view it in the best possible light. And every time Amy and I stop ourselves in that situation and look at it in the best possible light and in the worst possible light, and we choose to believe the best possible light, we always feel so much better about the situation. You know, one of the best books on this topic is a book by Dr. Henry Cloud called Boundaries. And if you have not read the book Boundaries, I would highly encourage you. Oh, it's another must read. Oh, it's a must read. I would pick it up this week, have it Amazon primed, (laughs) do whatever, you know, you need to do to get this book in your hands. And I just want to share one thing that he, that Dr. Henry Cloud shares in the book Boundaries that I think relates to this idea of setting expectations in friendships specifically. But this could go for expectations with anyone and In the book, he basically describes imagine like two people who have two homes and there's a fence that's around each home. Right. And he says there are things that happen inside of your fence line and there are things that happen inside of their fence line. And he says, if you if they come inside your fence line, if your neighbor jumps your fence and hurts somebody inside your fence line, that is your neighbor's fault right? If your neighbor breaks through your fence, jumps over your fence, comes inside of your fence line and causes an offense, that is their fault. But he said, most of the time in relationships, that's not what happens. Most of the time in relationships, people do things inside of their fence line. And he said, if somebody does something inside of their fence line, That causes there to be a problem inside of your fence line that causes you to be angry or mad or bitter or resentful or whatever the emotion is. Most of the time, that is a problem inside of your fence line. And so he really encourages people to take a really a, a good look at themselves in the mirror and say, OK, I feel upset because of something that happened inside of that person's fence line. I feel upset because of this thing I saw on Instagram that is not inside my fence line. Is there a problem inside of my fence line? And and that practice of asking yourself that question and taking ownership and responsibility for the way that we're feeling is really, really, really important.
0: And that's the thing we've realized when we think about our best, healthiest, most life-giving friendships that we have. Are there friendships where... There are no expectations, meaning we're not placing expectations on them, and they're not placing expectations on us, and that's what makes the friendship life giving instead of draining. Um, it makes one, makes it a friendship you want to continue for years and years and years that. The things that are going on in their fence line stay in their fence line, and vice versa, so that you can have a really healthy, life giving friendship without um, assuming the worst and instead assuming the best all
1: the time. Have you ever gotten really busy and just forgot to text someone back? Oh my gosh, one of the features, the time. <laughs> one of the features that drives me crazy about about the iPhone is that a friend could text right, and we could see the text message, read the text message. Sometimes we like think that we responded because we like responded in our head,
0: or you're like reading it. While while you're getting in the car, putting your kid in the car seat or doing something where you can't respond right then. And then you forget and you can't mark your text messages as unread. Which so all of worst. a sudden, you
1: know, two days later, you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat and you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot to text so-and-so back. <laughs> you know, we had a, a situation like that the other day where we had been a little delayed in texting a friend. We had been engaging with a friend, text back, text back, text back, having a conversation. And then we just like abruptly stopped because I don't <laughs> remember what happened, but we like had to run away, rush away. And we texted later and we were like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't respond sooner. I meant to respond sooner. Like this ha- thing happened with Beckett and I had to drop my phone and blah, blah, blah. And our friend texted back something that was so amazing. Mm-hmm. She's, she said something to the extent of, I'm not keeping score. There's no timeline on responding in our friendship.
0: Oh, isn't that so refreshing? Oh, I just love that. So... Let's talk about some proactive solutions to prevent conflict before it starts. Because if we can recognize that most conflict comes from these unmet expectations, let's think back to that dinner spat for a minute, Um, because we realize we we can and we have since been able to prevent spats like that from happening um, just by taking some specific steps to prevent that, that cycle of unmet expectations that we were talking about before from Starting and I think we've all. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I was just
1: gonna say. I just wanted to jump in before you made that point to say, you know, I think it was like Albert Einstein who said, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and get and expecting and a different, different result. I love that. Quote. And so I think kind of as we talk about proactive solutions to prevent conflict before it starts, when Amy and I had that spat in the kitchen it didn't feel good. (laughs) It didn't feel good to her. It didn't feel good to me. It didn't feel good for us. It was a negative, right? There was nothing good about it. (laughs) So I think that when we've had those experiences, it doesn't matter if it's in a fight Or any other area of our life, when we experience something that's negative and we think, man, you know, I don't ever want that to happen again. One of the things we try and do is pause and take a breath long enough to do the work to say, how do I avoid touching that hot stove again? Because it didn't feel good.
0: And I think that we've all heard somebody say, like, the key to great marriage is communication, right? We've probably all heard that before. And it's really good advice. It's really good advice. One of the biggest keys to a great great marriage is great communication. But what does that actually look like specifically when it comes to expectations? And for us, like Jordan said, when we had to stop and do the hard work and figure out like how could we make this better in the future so that we don't get ourselves in the situation over and over and over again, we realized that for us, one of the best tools is simply over-communication. Or it might feel like over-communication in the beginning. It felt like over-communication in the beginning to us, a little unnatural, a little uncomfortable but over time, it's become so normal and natural and part of our like everyday life that it doesn't even feel like over communication anymore. It just feels like communication.
1: And so one of the kind of think back on kind of on our marriage in the last 10 years and one of the most common kind of like Spats or fights that we would have where there was an unmet expectation was Amy and I are really different in this sense. I am somebody who loves like cleanliness, tidiness, mm-hmm. and order.
0: Like, if you're a full house fan, I always compare Jordan to Danny Tanner. Like, Danny Tanner's like always got like his mop and his broom and his Windex and his Clorox, and he's just like passionate about keeping the home spotless. Right. And-,
1: and, and Amy always says, you know, it's an admirable quality that you want to keep the house clean and tidy. And she says, I really appreciate that. Sometimes for That's to my detriment, right? Because sometimes I'm the person who I love cleanliness, tidiness, and order, but I have a hard time focusing on anything else until the house is put together. It doesn't matter if company is coming over or not. For me, and maybe you're somebody who's wired this way because I think in any marriage or relationship, probably one person is one way and one person is the other that it's hard for me to kind of like get my day started if the house isn't tidy. When I walk through the door, it's hard for me to focus on anything unless the house is tidy. And Amy appreciates a clean house. She appreciates a tidy house, but I sure do. You do. It's really, really And she appreciates those things, but it's not her number one priority amy has a better ability than i do to look at two or three or four different things that need to be done and identify which is the one that's most important that needs to be done right now and so what a typical situation for us would be you know we would be you know for example coming home from running an errand or being out or doing something and i would have the expectation that as soon as we come through the door i'm going to tidy up the house Before we start working. And in Amy's mind, she would be thinking, I have this really important work thing that needs to be done and there's a deadline on it and the house can be cleaned at any time. It doesn't bother me that there's a pair of socks in the living room and a couple of pots or pans that need to be scrubbed. So I'm going to go inside, go straight to the couch and get to work. In that scenario, Amy and I are both doing what we think is the best thing for our family unit at that time, but the problem is we would go into the house. Amy would sit down on the couch, she would immediately start working. I would immediately start cleaning. I would feel like Amy doesn't care that I'm doing all this work. Mm-hmm. Like I can't believe she's not helping, da 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 da. very childish, very immature. And all of a sudden it would cause, like a tiff or a spat or an argument similar to the one in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And so we had to take a look at that and refine that part of our life and say, "Okay, now as we pull into the garage, we'll look at each other and we'll ask each other the same the question, what does the next 5 minutes look like or what mm-hmm. does the next hour look like?" And Amy will say, "Hey, is there anything around the house that can be done in 5 minutes that we could do together and get tidied up because I think we need to get started on this really important work thing." And Amy and I might say, "Yeah, I think we could do this thing in 5 minutes, but there are these two or three other things that we really need to to do, but that's going to take a little while. So why don't we do the thing that's going to take five minutes, leave the bigger thing for later. And I know you'll help me with that later. And then we can both get started on work as fast as possible.
0: Mm-hmm. And nowadays, a lot of times that bigger thing is like, you know, not, a, not even work, but a lot of times it's Beckett who, you know, needs to be fed or needs a nap or, you know, he has like immediate needs and getting the house tidy before he gets his nap is definitely not going to be a good scenario for any of us. So uh, a lot of times what we'll do now, like during Jordan said is communicate in the car on the way home. So um, sometimes like when we're coming home from a trip, like Jordan will concede to me. Jordan is one of those. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those memes on Instagram or Facebook where it's like, if you unpack your suitcase right when you get home, you're clearly a serial killer. Um, (laughs) That's Jordan. So I don't know if it makes him a serial killer, but he loves. I guess
1: we'll find out.
0: (laughs) 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 creepy um he loves to unpack the entire suitcase the second we get home from a big long trip where i might be like exhausted from the travel and trying to get vex down for whatever sleep or food or whatever so we've realized this about ourselves and so now we'll actually like decide in the car together like hey like I'm exhausted. I'm torched. I don't think I can unpack the suitcase tonight. Are you okay? Just leaving it in the laundry room, and we'll touch it in the morning. And even though that is really hard for him, he'll concede that to me um, and be like, "Yeah, I totally get it. Let's agree to do it in the morning."
1: Yeah, it's hard for me because it's outside of my nature, and I think that's kind of something in a marriage, in any marriage or any relationship, you have to identify like what's my wiring and what's my nature, and one isn't right or wrong; it's just different. Mm -hmm. And so, Amy and I have tried over the years to communicate our expectations as early as possible and as upfront as possible to kind of avoid any of those tiffs or spats. I can, we were just in the car the other day and it was, this is a perfect example of this, but we hadn't really had a chance to talk all morning because there were lots of things going on. And we had a, like a 20 or 30 minute drive to our midwife appointment. And, um, I got in the car, Amy got in the car and I was expecting, mm-hmm. okay, as soon as she gets in the car, we're finally going to have a chance to talk about this work thing that I've been wanting to talk about all morning. And so we got in the car and I immediately started to talk about the work thing. Amy was already texting on her phone and I had to pause myself in that moment and go, okay, well, wait a second. Like clearly my expectation was we were going to talk about work. Clearly Amy's expectation was that she was going to respond to some of her friends who had texted her back this morning. And so I had to say, Hey, um, I would love to talk to you about this work thing. Um, But I can wait until you're done texting. And it did this magical thing. What it did was, I wasn't upset or huffing and puffing in the car because I thought Amy was ignoring me or putting somebody, you know, prioritizing somebody or something before me. Amy was able to then go, okay, I clearly know that it's important to Jordan that we talk as fast as possible about this work thing. So I'm going to look at these six text messages that I have. There are two that I need to respond to right away, but four of them I don't need to respond to. And so Amy communicated back to me, hey, I've got these texts in here. Let me respond to these two really fast because I don't want these friends to be hanging any longer. These other four, I can respond later in the day and give me about five minutes and then we can talk. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, like I had an expectation of like, we've got a 25 minute drive. Five minutes are going to be Amy responding to friends. And then I get the other 20. And that was a really healthy way and a very small micro way for us to kind of diffuse what could have turned into some kind of tiff or spat on the way to the midwife, and
0: and see how it's never like in those big life expectations you hear about, like how many kids are you gonna have? But instead, it's just like what's gonna happen in the car on this twenty minute drive, or what's gonna happen when we walk in the door, or what's gonna happen on Friday night after work. You know, so it's like these little micro uh, windows of time that we've realized if we're just clear communicators and just say like, hey, I was really hoping to do blank during this time. What were you thinking? And have a quick conversation about it. Then we're able to prevent any of that passive aggressive cycle that can start when you realize you don't have the same expectation for a a small block of time.
1: Yeah. you know, Almost every weekday that I'm able to, I like to go to the gym in the afternoons. And my typical routine is I leave with Beckett around four o'clock and we get home around six o'clock. And something that I I realized pretty early on
0: am pregnant right now while we're recording this and I am just like not going to the gym right now. It's just not happening. It's bubble bath time. (laughs) Yes.
1: Although you do, usually you do your like Instagram stories and Instagram captions in the bathtub. So that's alignment. That's alignment. If you
0: haven't listened to episode one, you can go check that out. You'll know what I'm talking about.
1: But what what happened the first couple of times that I took Beckett to the gym is I kind of viewed it as like, this is for me so I can go get exercise. And this is also something I'm doing for Amy so that she can have two hours of a totally quiet, house with nobody here where she can relax and do her thing. And so <laughs> <laughs> I remember, you know, the first couple of times I would like take Beckett to the gym and then we would show up at six o'clock. And I went inside with the expectation of you've had the house to yourself for the last two hours. I need to hand off Beckett right away so I can start dinner right away so it can be ready by 6 30. So we can eat as mm-hmm. a family, give Beckett his bath, have him down by seven o'clock. And the first couple of times that that I came home from the gym, I was ready to hand Beckett off, and Amy wasn't ready to take him. Mm-hmm. And I remember in that moment, I had to. I was. I felt you know a little bit frustrated, maybe irritated. I felt even stressed. if it was only
0: like maybe sixty, 60 seconds, sixty seconds to a couple minutes of transition time, it just didn't feel. It just didn't feel
1: right. Yeah, and so I had to communicate to Amy like, hey, when I walked in the door at six and you weren't ready to take Becks, I felt. I felt, you know, this way and like, what can we do tomorrow so that this doesn't happen again? Cause you didn't do anything wrong and I didn't do anything wrong. It was just a miscommunication of expectations. And so what I do now is I always do my best to text Amy like, 15 minutes before I'm about to leave uh, from the gym and say, hey, we'll be home in 15 minutes. Which
0: gives me a heads up if I'm finishing up something for work I can be completely done with it, which means like my phone is down and it's really important to me um, I was, I've been reading this really great parenting book by Meg Meeker who we really love. We can't recommend her enough either and one of the things that I learned from the book is that when we see our child, when we reunite with our child after any amount of time being gone, like we're talking, like thirty minutes, sixty minutes, a trip to the grocery store, a trip to the gym. That it really matters how we greet our kids, and that I loved that idea, and it made me want to be more intentional about that. Yeah, I
1: just want to say her name one more time. It's Doctor Meg Meeker. Yes, her parenting books are phenomenal. She has
0: so many. I'm reading um, Great Mothers, Great Sons is the one that I'm reading. But,
1: but we'll link the, it in the show notes for you because I highly recommend mother, it. Strong
0: strong. Shoot, now I'm messing up the title. That's yeah. Well, We'll, we'll link it in the it's show so notes. It's so good.
1: We can't remember the title.
0: <laughs> no, it is really good. But she just has so many. Um, so yeah, we'll link those in the show notes. But in that uh, intentionality of wanting to greet Beckett with a giant smile on my face, hold my arms out wide for him to give me a big hug to show him I'm so excited to see him really makes a difference. Um, And so having that heads up text from Jordan really makes a difference in in our relationship with each other and also our relationship with Bex. So it's these like little micro, it kind of sounds like almost like over communication, like, hey, in 15 minutes, I'll be there. Hey, I'll be there in five minutes. But it really, really helps. Helps so that we can be intentional with the time when we're reunited.
1: Yeah. And so, how does this play out in friendship? I think, you know, we gave that example earlier of Instagram. I think part of being, uh, you know, if you want great friends, you have to be a great friend. And Amy and I have had to learn this over time, how to learn how to be a better and better friend. And a lot of times, being a good friend means putting yourself in your friend's shoes. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't think you have a you know, it's not like a slam dunk that, oh, I have a responsibility to communicate with this, communicate this to them. Let's go ahead and over communicate to make sure that we do our very best to protect their hearts. We talk about in marriage a lot that our job is to protect each other's hearts. But I also think with friendships, our job is To protect each other's hearts. And so we had a situation recently that I think is is a good example of this. Um, Over Memorial Day, we went uh, away with uh, two different couples who we love. They're some of our best friends in the world. And we were with these two other couples. We had an amazing trip. And then a couple of months later, we decided that we were going to take a trip back to the same place with one of the couples. But For certain reasons, it wasn't appropriate to invite the other couple. We had some things with our our friends that we needed to talk through that were something that was kind of like just needed to be the four of us. And people understand that sometimes, you know, you need one on one time with somebody or another couple. And sometimes you need group time. But out of out of care and concern for the other couple's heart, we texted them in advance and we said, hey, we just want to let you know that we're going back to this place with this other couple that we had all been with a couple of months before. We just want you guys to know that we're not leaving you out. We're not ignoring you. It's just really important to us that for as much as we spend time in groups we also need time just to spend time with them one on one and over the next couple of months let's plan a trip with just us and you guys so that we can spend time together and and you know we did not we did not always do this and, and so we're not saying that we're perfect by any means but but our friend was so great she, you know she texted back and it was just like hey like no problem at all but you know thank you for letting me know mm-hmm. and that's just a way to show care and concern for our friends because that way you kind of eliminate, you kind of anticipate um the, what a problem could potentially be and try to solve it before it starts. Mm, just
0: simply with that like over communication piece. And so, I mean, oh man, this is so, we're, we've only been parents for 18 months so far. We've got our 18 month old Beckett, but in parenting, we're already seeing how important expectations is. We knew it was important in the classroom with our 10 and 11 year olds, but it's even true with our 18 month old. Um, I remember about a month ago was the first time, about a month or two ago was the first time that I started coloring with Beckett with these color wonder markers. They're amazing because they don't color on anything else. But with the color wonder markers, when I, instead of just handing him a marker and paper and being like, okay, Bex color, I realized that like, okay, Okay, this could be a disaster really quickly. Um, so, this is a good way for me to set expectations before we start coloring and before he has habits with coloring. So, I hand him the marker and I tell him, Hey, Bex, we're gonna color on this paper right here, but we're not going to color on the wall. We're not gonna color on ourselves, on the table. And I ran through a list of, you know, no here, no here, no there. And he actually pointed to the wall and uh, repeated back to me and just said, No. No. And I said, good, very good. You're right. We're not going to color on the walls. And then we worked on coloring on the paper. And then he kind of gave me one of those little like glints in his eyes and took the marker and put it on the table just to see you know what i was going to do and i said hey bex we don't call her on the table we call
1: those the devil eyes
0: <laughs> yeah he, he has these like it's like almost like this he's like the sweetest boy 99% of the time and then all of a sudden this little devil he's a gremlin <laughs> like if you if
1: you're a parent and you have a toddler um pastor craig Rochelle from oklahoma calls them drunk squirrels in diapers yeah. but you understand if you have a toddler that some they're great 99% of the time and then all of a sudden it's like this little demon comes out
0: because <laughs> you know he's in the testing stage and he's learning his boundaries. Um, so it's our job as parents to communicate expectations. And of course, like in a toddler example, it's kind of funny. Um, but even as we get older, as the kids get older, because, you know, we were working with 10 and 11 year olds for a long time, it doesn't go away. Whether they're six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, whether they're teenagers, whether they're young adults, they're in college, they're out of college, c- over communicating expectations, desires, wants, beliefs um, is going to make a giant difference in our relationship with our kids.
1: Yeah, and you know, this all also applies to leadership. We we, have, we we lead, have the pleasure and the privilege of leading a small team of four. It's Amy, me, and our, our two unsung heroes who work <laughs> here behind the scenes. Um, and they wear a lot of hats and they do a lot of hard work. And I can think back to times over the last few years that they've been part of this team where Amy and I, as leaders, have not communicated clear expectations. And because we didn't communicate clear expectations, we set our team up to fail. And so all of a sudden, when they brought back some work to us or a project that they had been doing, or whatever, and we were disappointed in what they were showing us. We had to look at ourselves in the mirror instead. Of, instead of blaming them, blame ourselves and say we could have communicated our expectations more clearly, and we would have set themself, set them up to win. And so, if you're in a position of leadership in any way, shape, or form, communicating your expectations to your staff, to your team is so important because you don't want them to fail and they don't want to fail. And if you both want to succeed, how can we communicate expectations in such a clear way that they can step up and meet those expectations? And, you know, here's the thing to kind of wrap up this episode. Here's the thing about communicating expectations. And remember, expectations are your wants, your needs, your desires, the things that you believe will happen and things that you want to happen. And especially in the context of marriage in other contexts too. But especially in the context of marriage, sometimes it's a little scary to, to communicate your expectations, to communicate your wants and needs and desires, because oftentimes spouses are like oil and water, right? Right. They have they're different, right? Men and women are different. We have different wants, needs and desires. And therefore our expectations sometimes can be wildly different. I think sometimes there's a fear that you don't want to share your wants, needs and desires and expectations with your spouse because you think you believe one of these lies. You know, my spouse doesn't share my needs. My spouse doesn't understand my needs. My spouse doesn't care about meeting my needs. My needs aren't important right? And I think that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, Amy loves me. She's my best friend in the world. I'm her best friend in the world. We have each other's best interests at heart. We both want the other person to be happy and fulfilled and successful. But sometimes there's this fear that's deep, deep, deep down that says, if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. Let me repeat that. If you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. And so sometimes that acts as a wall and it prevents us from sharing a want, need, or desire with our spouse because we're afraid if we share this with them, maybe they won't like me. Maybe they'll think I'm weird. Maybe it'll, this'll be the thing that they finally see who I really am, right? Whatever that looks like. And I think, you know, at at times in our marriage where I've shared something vulnerable with Amy, and I was worried that by sharing it, it might change the way that she viewed me or thought about me. Because she's a good willed person who loves me and wants the best for me, The opposite actually happened. We felt more connected than ever. I could see a softness and a gentleness and a warmness and an acceptance in her eyes. And so I think my, my, one of my takeaways for any married couples who are listening is don't be afraid to communicate any wants, needs, or desires that you have, no matter how small and silly they seem, no matter how deep and scary they seem. Oftentimes, this can revolve around really sensitive topics, things like intimacy in a marriage, right? A lot of different things. But what we've realized is that when we've had those hard, uncomfortable conversations, it's led to deeper intimacy and a richer relationship for us. And so I think kind of... of Pairing that and kind of extending on that, I think it's not enough in a marriage for us to communicate with our spouse. These are my expectations. These are my wants, needs, and desires. Because if you really love your spouse and you want the best for them, periodically, a great question to ask them over dinner or when you're taking a walk is, hun is there any area of our marriage where I can better love you? Is there any area of our marriage where I can better serve you? Is there any area of our marriage where I can better respect you? And that might feel at first like a weird question to ask, but I can tell you that that question has led to some of the, the, the most fulfilling conversations that we've had as a couple and some of the biggest breakthroughs that we've had as a couple. And one of the reasons that I believe our marriage is as, as strong as it is today is because we have been willing over the course of 10 years, years, slowly but surely, to completely pull off any mask, to completely uh, be vulnerable with each other and share who we really are. Mm -hmm. And if your spouse loves you and has your best intentions at heart, which trust me, they didn't marry you because they hate you and they want (laughs) you to fail, hopefully when you share those things with them in good faith, they will respond the same way that Amy does. Mm -hmm.
0: And just recognizing that those hard, really uncomfortable conversations, they are the ones that make relationships richer. They are the ones that make intimacy deeper. They are the ones that make the relationship stronger. Um, And so I think the, the big takeaway here when it comes to expectations is the next time we feel ourselves getting upset in any relationship, in any area of our life. So whether it's with our spouse, our kids, whether it's with our friends or our parents, employees, we just have to stop and ask ourselves a few questions, right? The questions that we've been talking about through this episode, like, okay, self, did I have an unspoken expectation? Or did I have an expectation that I didn't even know existed? And if I do have an expectation, is it fair? Isn't it reasonable? Is it the same way that I would like to be judged um, if if the situation were reversed? If someone was thinking about this situation with me, is this the way that I would like it to be perceived? Um, or if you're in the middle of a conflict, like, oh man, is there something I could have done to prevent that conflict? What's my responsibility in this? Um, or And moving forward, what could I have done differently to move forward so that something like this doesn't happen again? And I think maybe the most important of all is am I assuming the best in other people the way I hope that they would do for me? Thank you for listening to Life with Amy and Jordan. If this episode was helpful to you, we'd love for you to leave us a review.
1: And if it wasn't, please don't.
0: (laughs) But Seriously, a review from you will help us reach more awesome people like
1: you. To get the newest episode as soon as it's available, hit the subscribe button.